Hello and welcome to the first edition of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast of 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. I am Woo. Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com and I am here with my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. And for those of you watching on YouTube, this is my New Year's Day. No, this is my New Year's Day hat, the one that I knit on New Year's Day. And this is the one I knit yesterday. So yes, isn't that lovely? So this is what I've been doing for the last few days. And we can take them off now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure my hair is wrecked. I don't either. Before we get started on today's podcast, I thought that we should make the announcement that it is actually no longer the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. It is no longer the To so, Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. So as we are going to make that announcement, let me read to you the Facebook status. <laughs> That got the most likes, I think, almost. All of the year Facebook so far. status. Well, no, it was the last Facebook status of 2020. And I think, oh, it really? actually, I think it actually won how many likes it got. Here's a true story. Here's what happened to me. Want to rebrand blog? Thought of the best name. Domain is already bought. Put in a request for GoDaddy to negotiate on my behalf to buy it. Then discovered my son-in-law owns it on his account because he parked it for me a year ago and I'm negotiating with myself. Yep. Good old Connor. $158 later has yeah. paid the GoDaddy <laughs> negotiation fee. But yes, we do own this domain and we are going to be moving everything from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum eventually over. Yeah. But we thought that for the podcast, we would move it over now. Especially since it's so easy to change the podcast name, all things considered. We just need to edit podcast on Buzzsprout, right? <laughs> yes. Like it's, it's really simple and also it'll help people recognize the names that when we do change our URL and, and our the blog. whole blog, people don't get confused and because it's always confusing. You're like, wait, I thought this is to love out our vacuum. What happened? Um, right. And, and, and so that's going to take a little So here we go. Drum roll, please. The new name for our podcast is Bear Marriage. Bear marriage. Bear marriage. And a lot of you might recognize that from the survey that we did that had over 20,000 yes. women. And then the subsequent survey of men, mm-hmm. we had over 3,000 men take it. We called it our bear marriage study. And so we thought, hey, we're already basing all yep. of our research on this thing. And so we thought that for today's podcast, we would explain to you what bear marriage means to us and why it's significant to us. Obviously, one of the first reasons is bear Bare naked, bare marriage, hey, you're yeah. talking sex. So it's an easy way to talk sex without saying the word sex, because as soon as you say the word sex, <laughs> Google thinks you're porn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Google and, actually doesn't like to recommend porn to people who aren't searching for porn. That's right. And and all of the net nanny filters also think you're porn. So yeah. keeping anything remotely sex related out of the URL is very important. But that's actually not the main reason why we want it to be bare marriage. Mm-hmm. And our big reason is that what we want to do is we want to strip away everything that has been heaped on top of all the marriage advice and just get back to that which is most crucial. It's like Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we want to get back to that being the heart of marriage teaching. Yeah. And so that's how we're going to subtitle this, Bare Marriage, a Jesus-centered marriage podcast. Because that's what we want to be about, is we want to keep Jesus at the center. And what's happened, we think, is that Jesus has not been at the center of a lot of marriage advice. And that's where we've gone so far off track. And so we just want to explore this a little bit today. I remember when I was in university, and you probably had the same experience, but when professors would talk about world history, or they would talk about religious history, they would always frame it in terms of how the church had done so many terrible things 
over the course of centuries and how the church had been a major force for oppression and for hurting people, etc. And you would look at the Crusades or the Salem Witch Trials. Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition. Being on the side of slavery in the U.S. You know, all of these things. And when you look at it, you know what? They're right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I found that really difficult in university, was just realizing, yeah, you know, the church really was on the wrong side. Pretty much all throughout history. Yeah, the yep. church has been on the wrong side. And when you realize that, you can think, well, then why should anyone believe in Jesus? But when you also look at all of those same historical periods, what you'll find is that there were always, always voices calling the church to more and calling the church to better. But those voices were on the margins. Yeah. They were very rarely in the halls of power. They were almost always on the margins. And we see this in scripture too. You know, who was it? Was it Elijah who was complaining to God? And and God said, I have reserved a remnant of 7,000 who haven't bent, bent the knee. Like Elijah said, I'm all alone here, God. Like, mm-hmm. just kill me. I'm all alone. I'm the only one standing up for you. And God said, no, you don't understand. I've reserved a remnant. Of 7,000 who haven't bent the knee. And I think that's the way God works so much is that there's always a remnant. There's always some that God have preserved that haven't bent the knee. And God often works in the margins to call us to more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it means when we're told to look for the fruit. Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy to slap the label Christian on something and Mm -hmm. gain people's trust. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to slap the label of biblical on something and make people think, oh, they must have really thought this through from a Jesus-centered perspective. Yeah. Not always. And so when we look at the fruit of the church throughout history, the big, powerful church, not individual Christians. Right. Look at how the organizational church throughout history, the fruit says Jesus was not there. Mm -hmm. The fruit says that throughout history, Jesus was not in the Spanish Inquisition. No. Like, that was not done because of honest knowing of Christ. Right. But there were people who were speaking out against it. And there were people who, during the Salem Witch Trials, were harboring people and were speaking up and saying, this is crazy. Please don't do this. Yeah. And that's the fruit we need to look for. Yeah. And we're not saying the church has always been bad. Like, if you nope. look at how many denominations got started, like, denominations that are now very institutional, they often were started from people on the margins speaking up. Salvation mm-hmm. Army, perfect example. Yep. Speaking up for the poor, marching through London, calling people to a real relationship with God, but also really caring for your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the Salvation Army. It was Christians who first fought for abolition. Yep. It, William Wilberforce rooted his whole campaign around the turn of the century between 17 and 1800s about abolishing slavery in the British Empire. He, he rooted the whole thing. In Jesus. Yeah. But he was talking to religious folk. Yes, but he was talking to religious folk and the House of Commons and to in Britain. But he was talking to them and he was calling them back to real biblical principles. I read a biography, one of the best biographies I've ever read last year, of a woman that I had never heard of named Josephine Butler. She was a campaigner in the 1800s in England. And in her time, she was as well known as Florence Nightingale. But we remember Florence Nightingale, we don't remember Josephine Butler. And it's largely because historians have said of the population that Josephine Butler worked with, which was primarily prostitutes. Ah. So this turned into a campaign for the rights of women for prostitutes. She she was really the first one to advocate for an end to the to child sex trafficking because that was yeah. such a huge thing in those days. And she went to Paris to see the brothels that used very young girls and 
tried to bring awareness to this. It ended up for her campaigning for women's right to vote because a lot of the stuff she couldn't get passed because women weren't allowed to vote. But she was just a tremendous woman and it was everything she did was rooted in Christ. Yeah. And in the fact that God loved people and he wanted that love to be more than just about believing in Jesus, but to have implications for how we treated each other. Yeah, to have it actually change the world that we're in. Yes. You'll find Josephine Butlers throughout all of history in mm-hmm. all nations of people who truly love Jesus and who want to see things change. Yeah. But so often what they're doing is they're talking truth to power. They aren't in power themselves. Yeah. And that's because when you are in power, you have the vested interest to conserve what's already there. Yeah, and the problem is because of that, we have these church groups that are built up in a way where you are taught to revere and respect those who held up power because you're then being trained to take on the power that the church has and maintain it for the next generation of pastors, of leaders, of Mm -hmm. teachers. And so how many people have gone to church and heard Jonathan Edwards be quoted? And Mm -hmm. how many people have gone to church and heard Harriet Tubman be quoted? She has quotes, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, Frederick, Frederick Douglass has amazing. Frederick Douglass is astounding, you know, but we hear George Whitfield and we hear Jonathan Edwards, who are both mm-hmm. slave owners. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem is in our church culture, and I don't want to say Christian culture, to be completely honest, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's not. In church culture, it's more important to be on the side of who's in power than it is to be on the side of who looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I hope we can all agree that someone who owned other people looks less like Jesus than someone who fought for their freedom. I love this quote from Frederick Douglass. I, mean, I want to read this. This is from an appendix to his autobiography, Narrative of the Life of an American Slave, published in 1845. He said he was not opposed to all religion, but only the Christianity of a slaveholding America. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. Yeah, and and I just don't think you can say it better. Mm -hmm. When you have a Christianity who tells women that if they're being abused, they're being mistreated, they're being silenced, they're being told you need to offer yourself up in essence as a sexual receptacle for Mm -hmm. this man who can't stop watching pornography, who won't stop raging at you, who won't stop threatening you. How on earth is that Jesus Christ and him crucified? Mm -hmm. That is not Christianity. And so that's why we wanted to strip all of the advice completely bare Mm -hmm. and just like, let's get back to the heart of the matter. Let's Mm -hmm. stop bickering about all these things that are not at all about what it means to look like Jesus what it means to be Jesus to your spouse, what it means to mm-hmm. tell your spouse in essence, hey, I'm expecting you to act like Jesus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and, and if we're acting like Jesus, if we are truly taking on the mantle of Christ, then we're supposed to be transformed into the likeness of, of him. Yeah, it's not enough just to have two people who say they believe the same things, kind of go along their day, never changing, never doing any good. No, we're supposed to be transformed. And what we're seeing too much is that the message of Christianity too often is about 
obeying authority and power Mm -hmm. rather than it is about being transformed to look like Christ. And if the only transformation you're ever told you have to go through or that you've been going through or your spouse is going through is becoming more and more complacent, compliant, and quiet, Mm -hmm. that is not at all a good transformation. Yeah, because we live in a fallen world. And that means that we are never going to get this right. No. Okay, we are never going to have a perfect church. We are never going to have a perfect anything until Christ comes again. Okay, so we live in this in-between time when Mm -hmm. things are never going to be just right. And so that means that every time we get it a little bit righter, (laughs) a little bit better, and we institutionalize that, yes, it's better than what was before, but that doesn't mean that we're done yet. Yeah. And so we live in a religion which is always going to be calling us to more because we haven't completely been transformed yet. We will never arrive. And so if our main message is to tell people, don't listen to those on the margins, yeah. listen to those in power, then we have lost the power of Christ. Exactly. Before Christmas, Tim Chalice, who is a conservative theologian, I don't, I don't really know how to describe him. It doesn't really matter how you describe it. It's about to be very clear who he is. Yeah. He wrote a, a passage on why we should follow mediocre leaders. And he literally called it on, on following, following mediocre leaders. Yes. And the whole passage, the whole article that he wrote is on why we're supposed to recognize that there's an authority system, there's a system of power that God has set up within the church and that we are blessed when we follow that authority, even if that authority is mediocre. He roots all of this in the fifth commandment, which he says is the basic structure for all human authority. And the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Yeah. So the commandment's actually about your parents, okay? But he, and by the way, it's not just about your father, it's about father and mother. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself that there's that there's already, in fact, every time it talks about obeying your parents in the Bible, it is obeying your parents, not just your father. So mm-hmm. the mother, this is giving the mother authority, but that he doesn't do that because um, he, he doesn't believe that women actually get authority. Right. So he says, by father and mother, it means not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially by God's ordinance are those over us in a place of authority in family in church or in commonwealth. But he's saying that God has set it up so that in the family and in the church and in the world, there are those in authority over us and we're supposed to obey them. And this is a central part of the Christian message is that you obey those in authority. But that's not even what this says. It literally says your mother and father. Mm -hmm. And also there are many places in the Bible where it's very poetic and we're not really sure what they mean. The commandments were just do this. Mm -hmm. Like don't murder. Don't steal. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't sleep with other people's wives. Like, <laughs> don't take other people's goats. Don't take other people's goats. And like, <laughs> like, it wasn't, like, and, and I mean, you could also make arguments that, of course, they were more meaningful and, and stuff. But at the same time, saying, mm-hmm. because a child should respect and honor their parent, you need to obey a mediocre leader in the church. In the church is so screwed up. It is so screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm not treating my pastor like my dad. But but this is the essence of yeah. what a lot of Christianity is today, is that it's very, very focused on there being a power and authority structure in the family and in the church. Yeah. And, and it, in the family, it looks like husband on the top. Yep. And then the wife mm-hmm. and then the kids. That's how they see it. And in some places, it's husband at top, 
wife and male children on the same level. Yeah. And then female children under the woman. Yeah. You know, that's Emerson Anchorage for the most part. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mothers and sons, which yeah. we won't get into, but we'll link to what we said about that. Mm -hmm. we will, we've already gone over that in another video. But the problem is that when pastors talk like this, when their obsession is with getting people to submit to pastors who honestly just aren't very impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, unimpressive people who have put themselves in a position of leadership. What that is saying is this incredible entitlement complex. Mm -hmm. If you are a pastor, you are not entitled to lead. You are not entitled to a flock. You mm -hmm. are not entitled to a well-paying job. Because I know pastors say they aren't well-paid, but compared to the general public, they're pretty well-paid. It, dep it depends on, on the church. In There's Canada, a lot of small churches yeah. where they're not. It depends. Yeah, but in the kinds of churches he's talking about, what I was going to say, is that you as a pastor are not entitled to any of this. Mm -hmm. This is something that you do at the behoofment of the lay congregants. This is something where you are hired to serve the flock. And if you are not a fitting shepherd, they will find someone else because the flock is more important than you. And if you are not willing to mm -hmm. see it as the flock is more important than you, then you have absolutely no business being a pastor. Yeah. Zero yeah. business. But instead what we've done is we've set up this church and family system where it is all about authority because the flock's job is to worship the pastor yeah and i want to read a verse which we read interesting uh the top podcast i did a post on the top podcast of 2020 and one of the top three was our very last podcast of 2020 when you and I were talking about churchianity versus Christianity, which we will put a link in there. And I'm pretty darn sure that I read this verse in that podcast as well. I'm actually going to start reading before. I usually start Matthew 20. I usually read verses 25 to 28. I'm actually going to start further up and start in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, and Zebedee's sons were James and John. We know that from elsewhere. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it that you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So in other words, right and left, that just means give them a place of prominence in your kingdom. Make mm -hmm. sure that my sons have a place of prominence. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in contrast, we have Tim Challey saying, you have to make sure that you're obedient, submissive to even mediocre leaders and pastors, because that's what God designs. Yeah. You know what's interesting about James is James was the first martyr. Yeah. Of all of the disciples, Stephen was the first martyr overall, but mm -hmm. of the disciples, James was the first one to be killed. And John was the only one not to be murdered. <laughs> so, you know, sort of an interesting ending for both James and John. John was exiled. James was the first to be martyred. You know, Jesus is saying, look, guys, if you want to really follow me, it's, it's not about power. It's about can you drink this cup? Can you actually let me be Lord of your life? and live out what God is doing. Like be part of the kingdom of God, no matter where that takes you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the point for the son of man to not come to be served, but to serve. And you know, the Gentiles are totally obsessed with who has authority and who has power. 
that's not supposed to be the way with you. And that is the theme of the Bible. Yeah, it is. It's like when the Israelites wanted a king. Mm-hmm. You know, why did they want a king? Because they wanted someone to tell them what to do. Because they wanted to look like all the other nations. All yeah. the other nations had a king. And they felt like if we had a king, we'll be more powerful. We'll have a better army. We'll have better organization. And God said, you don't really want that. Because <laughs> before that, God was the head. He was the one who was giving the orders. And he said, look, once you have a king, it's all going to change. But they said, no, that's what we want. And what does Jesus say? Another passage. This is just going to be a very Bible-heavy podcast today, okay? (laughs) But this is what we're trying to get to. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to hear Jesus' voice and we're supposed to follow Jesus. (laughs) But the problem is that when leaders come in and they say, this is what the Bible says, this is Mm -hmm. what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to be submissive to authority, even authority that you know isn't good. Yeah. Even if your intuition, your conscience, the spirit is telling you, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. This Mm -hmm. is dangerous. This isn't good. I think someone Mm -hmm. else could do this better. Your job is to obey and be quiet and sit down. Yeah. In essence, if anyone tells you your job as a sheep, as a precious lamb sheep who is loved by the great shepherd, is to sit down and shut up, yeah. they are not the good shepherd. They have come in by another way and they are a thief and a robber. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem, is instead of saying the Christian life is about serving and about doing what is best for the flock and mm-hmm. about caring for people, mm-hmm. what he's telling people like who are mediocre leaders is your job is to maintain your authority by whatever means possible. Yeah. And so what happens then in a church where a woman goes to the pastor who's best friends with her husband mm-hmm. and says, I know that you love him, but you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I know that you're such good friends, but you don't know what's going on. You don't know how he screams at me and the kids. You don't know the kinds of things he watches mm-hmm. every day. You don't know the kinds of things mm-hmm. he requests from me in the bedroom. You don't know what I'm going through. What is he going to do? Because this guy is on the elders board and is a really good friend of his. Yeah. Right? They're going to say, you're rocking the boat. Yeah. And this happens a lot. You need to submit. You need to submit more. And have you not been respecting him enough? Because you have to understand that if your man doesn't feel respected, he's going to not be able to measure mm-hmm. up because you have, in essence, created the crazy cycle that you need to break by respecting him more. Yeah. And then he can show you the love that you deserve and you want. That's we, so toxic. And so we've created this whole system where it's about obeying authority and yeah. following authority rather than telling people, hey, follow after Jesus. You're going to recognize his voice. Yeah. And telling people that if you're in a leadership position and you're not doing a good job, the Christ-like thing to do is to step down. Yeah. Not hold on to power with death grip around its neck. Yeah. Because, you know, the New Testament church is supposed to be one where every person is necessary. Yep. Not just... The leadership is not something special. It is something yeah. which comes with a great deal of responsibility because, like James, mm-hmm. you could be the first one martyred. Okay? Yeah. This, is, this is not something which is a perk. It comes with a great deal of responsibility. And so we need to see church differently. This is a difficult thing to talk about because I'm actually not against the institutionalized church. No, once COVID need, is over, we're going back. We need community. There isn't anything especially holy or wonderful about being a sect outside of the institutionalized church because that's how cults get started. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so just because you're 
on the outside does not mean you're good. Yeah. I'm not saying those insider are bad and those outside are good. I am saying that God often works on the margins, but what the margins are supposed to be doing is calling the church to more. We're not supposed to abandon the church. We're supposed to call the church to more. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't abandon sectors of the church that are harmful. No. You know, yeah. we've left multiple churches. Yeah, as we talked about. So this yeah. is a difficult thing to, to discuss. You know, there are some of us that the best thing that we could do for our spiritual life in 2021 is to leave our church. Mm-hmm. And there are some of us where the best thing we could do for our spiritual life in 2021 is to find a good body of believers and start actually going to church. Exactly. So we don't know which one that is for you because (laughs) you know what? We're not your authority. Jesus is. So what we want to do is we want to encourage you to ask Jesus and to listen to his voice. And that's what we want to do about marriage this year. Yeah. Is to help us get away from this idea of authority and power and structure like that and just get back to two people running after Jesus and serving Jesus together. Yeah. And I have brought Keith on for our first podcast of the year for our new Happy research new segment. Glad to have you back, babe. Yeah, good. You were the one who actually found this <laughs> piece of research. He texted this to me. <laughs> Are we going to tell him everything I texted to you about it no. or just, just the part of the study? So let, for background, Keith is preparing to do a virtual men's conference Mm -hmm. and you were preparing your talk and you were looking for information on what contributed to mental health and you and Rebecca and I were all talking about this Mm -hmm. and you said well I mean are there any studies yeah well we I know that I've read studies about how uh, connection and relationships are really essential to long-term mental health Mm -hmm. and then you showed me about the grant study out of Harvard yeah, and then both Becky and I said, well, yeah, the Harvard study. Yeah. And you didn't know what that one was. But I actually wrote a post on this, which I will put in the podcast description, a link to it. And so I told her to look that up. But why don't you explain what the study was? Because so, I think yeah, it's this, fascinating. This, oh, it's an amazing study. So this is the longest running continuous study of people, you know, for these kind of issues, mental health and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. It's just, it's unbelievable. But back seven, like almost 80 years ago now, I yep. think, they started this study. And what they did was they took some sophomores. And forgive me if I get some of the details a little bit off because it was a while since I read it, but they, they took sophomores from Harvard and they, they took a whole, uh, like hundreds of these young men and they also took a bunch of young men from up the poor areas of Boston and they just sort of followed them through their lives mm-hmm. because the concept was they wanted to just follow them and watch the choices they made in their lives and how their lives unfolded and mm-hmm. how that impacted mental health rather than getting people to remember back to, you know, what did you do when you right. were childhood and that sort of stuff because memory is not as reliable as watching things go forward. And so yeah. it's a great, great study, and it's given us lots of information. Yeah, it's, it's one of the few... Because the problem with doing most studies is that you, you get a snapshot of people at one particular time. Yes. But for this one, they interviewed them every single year of their lives. And then if they died, yeah. they often interviewed their children. Yeah. And, well, for well, everyone, they, they, they interviewed children and yeah. spouses. And, and technically, it's every two years they yeah. interviewed them and everything. But, yeah. but they, And then recently, they started interviewing their wives, too, You know, which is interesting because it was all men because... Back in the 30s, that's who you studied. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. But, it's, <laughs> you know, but I, and I think that I think the, the the truths still apply to both of us because the point it's saying is that relationships are important. Yeah. That's and that the, was that was the big finding because they didn't even know that was going to be the big finding. Mm-hmm. But what they found was that you know the biggest factor in both how long you lived and dementia, like whether or not you got dementia mm-hmm. and everything, was how connected you were to other people. Yeah. It was, it was the, not just the number of relationships, but how connected you were. Which goes along with our emotional maturity series yeah, exactly. from November that we have All to stay. That we've been, we have we've been to saying. stay connected, emotional health, etc. Yeah. But <laughs> that's not what I texted. All that all. <laughs> being said, <laughs> so, so I texted a little clip from the Wikipedia page. 
of the study talking about the grant study. Yes. So I texted it, and it's just a little the little cutout. It's a snapshot, a screenshot of what I was reading, and it says, "Political mindedness correlated with intimacy. Uh, aging liberals have more sex. The most conservative men cease sexual relations at an average of age 68, but most liberal men had active sex lives into their 80s." <laughs> And I texted Sheila saying, you know, I've been becoming more liberal every year. So I yeah. think, you know, we're, you're set for another three decades, babe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've always been more liberal. I've always me. been more uh, mm-hmm. on the liberal side of things than yeah, you. Yeah. I've always worked. And, I, and as I get older, I think I get a little bit more. Yeah. That way, and, you know, and, and, and we're not. OK, this is this is funny. And I, I do want to make a, a bigger point about what I think is behind this. That's actually yeah. more serious. But but before we make that point, I do want to say that I think that our political discussions the way that we do political discussions today are very counterproductive because we tend to label the other side with nefarious motives. So anyone who's a liberal becomes a socialist. Anyone who's a conservative, they don't like poor people. And... Yeah, I it's really very think, polarized. I really think that, the, well, it's not only polarized. I think it's, it's really that we see each other in, in evil terms, mm, yeah, yeah. like at either end. And if we could just simply debate policy and ask what actually works as opposed to debating ideology, I think we'd be a lot further ahead. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of the reasons that I have some of the opinions that I do, and I'm not going to talk politics about anything, but a lot of the reasons I have some of the opinions that I do is because I honestly do want to help. And so these are the policies that I think would help. And I think you can be that on either spectrum. And yeah. if we just listen to people's motivations, maybe we'd have a better time having political discussions. Yeah. And, and I also don't think that liberal, it means the liberal party of Canada or the right, conservative, the conservative, like party, the conservative of party of Canada. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. We're just talking or about... Or Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. yeah. So don't rescind your membership to whatever it is right now. Right. But. That's how, but, <laughs> but I think what's going on is, and this is what Becca and I were talking about in the first segment, is that increasingly what we're seeing is that certain views of society and of authority and of power become mm-hmm. coalesced around certain political That's views. correct. And it doesn't mean that they always go together, <laughs> but they're more likely to go together. And so the conservative side often sees things in terms of male hierarchy. Again, I'm not saying that everyone who votes conservative does. (laughs) Please believe me, I'm not. (laughs) But it tends to be more like that. Whereas on the liberal side, you tend to have more of this idea that everyone's equal. Mm -hmm. And so when you have this idea of male hierarchy, I think you often have women who've never had good sex. And so the women stop having sex. I think what this shows is that guys (laughs) are going to still have sex, you know? (laughs) But somehow, you know, what is it between conservatives and liberals that would make people stop having sex? And I wonder if it's some of the relational dynamics between the couple. Mm -hmm. And that you've talked about that in your post an awful lot about how obligation sex is a good way to get short term amounts of sex mm-hmm. that eventually dies yes right? and and this month and next month leading up to the release of the great sex rescue as we do talk about some of these bad teachings that's actually an interesting thing about the obligation sex message it does make sexual pain rates skyrocket for women it makes orgasm rates plummet but it means you have more frequent sex mm-hmm. on a short-term basis women will have more sex mm-hmm. if they're given the obligation sex message they'll just enjoy it a lot less and then in the long term what we find is that those women stop having sex mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i wonder if it's those women in their 70s who are like please now at least you can give me a break <laughs> so i think the message it's not a political message okay but yeah. the message is if you want to keep having sex into your 80s then well it should be something mutually enjoyable it for should both be <laughs> it needs to be mutual exactly 
Okay, I want to end with a reader question. Sure. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read this one to you, and I think you're going to relate to it. Yeah, okay. Not in terms of you going through this, but that you had to watch me go through this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here we go. She says, Hi, Sheila. I've been following your blog for a while now, and the reason I started is actually tied to my question. What are some practical and smart ways that I can develop a healthier, more positive view of sex? For background, I'm a woman in my early 20s. I've never been in a serious relationship, and I work study in a field that deals with a lot of heavy stuff like domestic violence, rape, mm -hmm. abuse, etc. Mm -hmm. As a result, I've developed issues with vicarious trauma, and my own sexual self-image and my view of sex and intimacy have been strongly affected. Although consciously I have a healthy view of or interest in sex, and I'm very educated on the subject, I still have serious trouble untangling consensual, pleasurable, life-giving sex from the opposite, which is what I'm exposed to more often just because of my field, which I'm very passionate about and I feel called to, so abandoning it isn't a viable option. I desperately want this to change because it's actually a big reason I'm chronically single and it also fuels my anxiety disorder. Okay. So... <laughs> So you're talking about the time when you were binge watching Special Victims Unit and uh, <laughs> getting all your reader comments. Okay, well, special. I have to say about Special Victims Unit later, but I, I just I remember there's a period of maybe like a year and a half or two years, yeah. probably five or six years back, yeah. where whenever you came home, I'd be annoyed at you. Oh yeah. Like I would just I was just chronically annoyed at you. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it didn't matter what you did, I was chronically bothered by you. Well, yeah, not all the time, but No, the, but... but there was there was a lot of things where I didn't do anything wrong and I was still getting a lot of flack. Yeah, right? and and I I had a very difficult time turning off what was happening during the day because during the day mm. I was bombarded with negative comments on the blog and with so many emails like so many emails come in every day with people whose husbands watch porn and then he's the stepdad, she caught him with her daughter. Just yeah. all kinds of just awful, awful things that people are dealing with. And when you hear this over and over and over again, you just yeah. start to get this idea that all men are pigs. Yeah, well, so you hear all these stories about all these horrible men who are doing these terrible things. Yeah. And then you get an email from a man saying, shut up, woman, you shouldn't be teaching. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and then you come in the door. And then I walk in the door <laughs> and I get that guy's grief. Thanks, brother. <laughs> and you know, not happy with you. <laughs> and, and we did we did put some boundaries in place because we knew yeah. that this was affecting me, and yeah. I didn't want it to affect me. I didn't want to be angry. I certainly didn't want to be angry at you because no. you're not like that. No, and you, that was the thing is you didn't like you. We even once we knew what was going on, yeah, you couldn't just stop it. No, right? You couldn't just say, "Oh yeah, that's what it was." So I won't do that anymore. It's not no, that easy, because right? when you're just when you're bombarded with it and when you're immersed yeah. in it, it's just it really does affect you. Yeah. So we did put a few banners. And the, one of the best things I did was I hired Tammy. Hi, yeah. Tammy. Tammy's awesome. Tammy yeah. was a good friend of mine already. We started off with I was her assistant in youth group. Yes. So she ran she ran a youth group program and I was her assistant. And then later on, her husband's with the military, so she she keeps moving and traveling. And it was difficult for her to just get a permanent job, so she could work for me online. So she yeah. started, started working for me, filtering and, all the. And so she, bad emails. she does all my emails. So I don't actually yeah. see most of them. But when there's something really interesting, she puts it in my box or she puts it in... Anyway, we have yeah. systems. We have systems. I do see a lot. And she tries to answer 
a lot too, but we just can't give personalized answers to questions because yeah. we're not yeah. counselors. And exactly, I really do recommend that people see licensed uh, counselors if you can in your area. But <laughs> that being said, you know, she, she started doing that and then she had to put boundaries in place <laughs> so that she didn't get like that too yeah. with her husband. So now they've been, they've been dealing with that too. But you know, the other thing is I turn off my computer at five. Yeah. Well, I don't turn it off, but I do not check social media. I do not check email. And then on the weekends, I don't check email or mm-hmm. social media or anything. Sometimes I Instagram, but not that often, yeah. you know, and, and so I, I really try to get not in it. Yeah. on the weekends yeah. and that that helps and I think that's really important when you're in a stressful job it is really really important to just stop yeah as much as you can in the in the evening and that applies to guys too if guys mm-hmm. are in stressful jobs well I think there's two things I think there's the aspect of the stress level of it and then there's, then there's the actual content of what you're being exposed to. Mm-hmm. So the stress part of it, I think we can all relate to at one level. We found very early on in our marriage that I would come home from work because everyone thinks that a pediatrician, it's like you're handing out lollipops all day and it's, you know, Oh, and you and get to hold and, babies. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I said this before. It's like, you tell someone you're a pediatrician. They're like, oh, that's so cute. Maybe one day you'll grow up and be a real doctor. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the mentality, right? But pediatricians yeah. take care of sick kids. Mm-hmm. And a kid who's really sick, that's stressful. Yeah, right? I think in the U.S., pediatricians are often... More primary primarily care. primary yeah. care in yeah. Canada, they're really but not. But e- even that's still stressful because yeah. you're, you're. I mean, it's it's a, it's hard work. Being a doctor is hard work and mm-hmm. it's stressful. And so you know, I, I would come home and I you know Sheila had been home through the day dealing with whatever mm-hmm. and she's all upset and she needs to talk about things right away and I'm all stressed and it just mm-hmm. was not a good match. It just didn't work out. So I just learned that I needed about five minutes to be compressed and Sheila was really gracious about that. I said, look, when I come home, can mm-hmm. I just be home? And we just don't talk. <laughs> like just, just five or ten minutes. Yeah. So let me get used to the place. And then I'm all ears and we'll go for it. But I just needed to get out of that mindset of I'm not at work anymore. And I think all of us need to have some sort of routine where we say, okay, I'm not at work anymore. Yeah, a ritual, anything anything yeah. that you do every day that just tells you this is yeah. my transition from my work life to my real life. Yeah, like she, she'll actually, she, she shuts her office down. Which means she closes the computer and she gets out of the yellow chair. Yeah, so, <laughs> my so, yellow chair is right over there. Yeah. So, but but it's, seriously, it's like you can see, it's like the the, the it's like the whistle goes off, you know, at, at the end of, at the end of the work day, right? It's like clap, down goes the down goes the laptop out of the chair, and then we know that hey, Sheila's back now. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Yeah, but and, that's that's only one part of it. The other part is the aspect of the content of what you're dealing with. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of what she's dealing yeah. with. Yeah, and I I think when you are surrounded by a lot of negativity, you need to make sure that you've got positivity in the rest of yeah. your life. So really positive relationships. If you're surrounded by stories of women who have had horrible things happen to them at the hands of men, Mm -hmm. I would strongly suggest that you find things to do in your off hours where there are really good guys, Mm -hmm. whether that's volunteering at neat things, even at at youth events or at something Mm -hmm. (laughs) where there are really good guys. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be guys your own age, even if they're guys in their 60s (laughs) or 50s, just males who are good guys. I'm not talking about trying to find a mate. That's a separate issue. (laughs) But just, just so that you can see men in a really positive light. Cause I, and, and I, I know that I've had to do that too. Like we have to nurture couple friendships like uh like Tammy's Tammy's husband Steve. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Great great, great friend of ours. We've had to nurture couple relationships just so that we really do have good people around us mm-hmm. to remind us that the world is not all bleak. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz that is that is really important. Mm-hmm. One of the problems and this is something that I've had a hard time learning. When you do have a really stressful job, 
and you don't know what to do with all those emotions, often what we try to do is totally escape and totally veg. So that's when you do your, like, yes. your Netflix marathons or whatever. Yeah. And that... But then you're replacing yeah. negative stuff with nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and it doesn't, it doesn't actually build anything. I mean, I remember reading this study they did on children in television. And kids actually burn more calories staring at a TV that's off. then they have staring at a tv that's on like as soon as the tv is on like your everything shuts down and you burn no calories and it it doesn't necessarily give you anything good and so when you're in a stressful thing we often try to escape and what's really key is to decide i'm not going to escape i'm going to build in something that is healthy whether it's exercise or volunteering or remembering something good yeah you know thinking about like it's like when paul talks about whatsoever is holy whatsoever is right Mm -hmm. whatsoever is good those think on these things right Mm -hmm. so build some of the good in friendships get together with people i know we can't do that right now here up in here in ontario we're under lockdown for another two, three weeks, yeah. I think. <laughs> so, but once, once you can again, like, you know, play board games with people or it can seem like a lot of energy to get together with people. But for many people that rejuvenates you, at least if you're extroverted. And if you're more introverted, then read some great books or whatever it might be in your case. But I think replacing it not with escapist things, but things with which breathe into your life. You should see, I sh- you know what I should do? I should put a picture up on the screen. Katie, I will take a picture. You can put it up of all the knitting I have done during COVID. <laughs> like, it's a stack. Like, oh, yeah. so, and yet there's still so much yarn in this house. There is. <laughs> but, you know, productivity can be helpful. So that's how you can tackle the whole stress issue. But there's the bigger issue she has, which is how does she see men in a good light mm-hmm. because she's finding that this whole being immersed in all this gross negativity stuff about sex is making her chronically not being able to date. Then what do you do? Yeah, that's tough because you'd have to be, you'd have to protect yourself as a woman too. You, yeah. need, to be, you need to be wise, mm-hmm. but you know, how do, how do you be wise, but not be terrified of all men? Right? Yeah. And again, I really think the answer is just surround yourself with healthy people. Mm-hmm. Healthy people tend to, be friends with healthy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you want to find someone to marry or to date, most of us do tend to date friends of friends yeah. with, through our social circle. So the more you can do within your social circle, the better that's going to be. And the, the other advice I would probably say to women is don't give into that mindset that, oh, all men are like that mm-hmm. and settle mm-hmm. for a guy who's a creep. Oh, that's a good right? point. Yeah, like, a lot of us do that. Like a lot of a lot women sort of, well, that. all men are just like that. So... The fact that you're seeing red flags in your dating relationship and you go, well, I guess that's just what men are like. Well, not mm-hmm. all men are like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so be careful about that too, I would say. Yeah. Not every guy is addicted to porn. Yeah. Not every guy is going to blame you for his lust issues. Not every guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if you do see red flags, you know, trust yourself. Yeah. But don't make up red flags when they aren't there. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think the answer is just to surround yourself, again, with healthy people. Yeah. And often that means people who don't work in your field. 
Because true, people who work in your field are probably really jaded too. And, and often the reason that people go into some of these things is because they have their own trauma issues that they're working through. Like they say that one of the most unhealthy groups of people are psychiatrists, aren't they? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I know a lot of really healthy psychiatrists. <laughs> I know some that aren't as healthy, but we, you know. <laughs> My uncle was a psychiatrist. He was a great guy. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think seeing healthy people who aren't in your field, because when you're up close and personal with all this stuff, you know way too much. And I find that's yeah. my problem with a lot well, of the issues in the church and about sex is that I know way too much. And so sometimes it's just really nice to, to hang out with people who don't know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're just able to, to celebrate the surface stuff. And that, that can be good. Yeah. Well, another thing too is that if you're both in the same field, you're going to talk shop. Yeah. That's not going to be good for you either. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So find some healthy people, hang out with them, and keep chugging along. Because if you're called to be there, then God is going to equip you for what you have to handle. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a hard thing, but it's something I've had to learn too. So thank you for joining us for the first episode of the Bear Marriage Podcast, a Jesus-centered mm-hmm. marriage podcast. And we are so glad that you are with us. Join us at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, which will be changing its name eventually <laughs> once we can do all the Google, pretty Google stuff. Um, but join us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we will be talking more about how we can change how the church talks about sex and some of the negative messages and how we can turn them into positive ones throughout this month and the next at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. See you next week.